Now, um, Michelangelo Antonioni, back in the 60s when film directors could hold uh, press conferences and debate a no-budget film where someone stared out of a window for two hours and, uh, and the world would be enwrapped. Uh, he's originally from uh, Ferrara in the Kingdom of Italy, so I'm guessing that's before the modern Italian state, and died 80, uh, 94 in Rome in 2007. Made his name with uh, a trilogy of films on modernity called La Ventura, La Notte and Le Clisse. But it was his uh, transfer to England and making his first full English language film called Blow Up that made his name and is still regarded as his preeminent film. It stars David Hemmings as a, pho a photographer in swinging 60s London. And this guy is based loosely on the likes of David Bailey. Uh, basically, hard-partying, very well-off photographers that photographed every starlet and were at every club. And it's subsequently become known as uh, one of the iconic representations of that post-1965 London, where it was the cultural epicentre of the world. And you'd have people like Jimi Hendrix and John Lennon standing side by side in a nightclub watching the Yardbirds and um, was well known for the you know, Carnaby Street fashion and um, the music that was coming out of the UK at the time, which was uh, very dominant, uh, much less fragmented. I guess if there was anything sort of comparable, it was much more fragmented in America, like Hate asbury uh, on the uh, West Coast. Um, but they're such a big country, those kind of scenes were really splintered around, whereas London became this melting pot of just about every cultural force that was going through arguably the best period in British culture and music and fashion and photography and lots of stuff that's still iconic to this day. He stars as a, a very arrogant, suitably arrogant, uh, quite mean, quite selfish photographer who photographs fashion models and is abusively rude to them. Um, and has he lives an empty life, um, but one that's full of partying and sex and women. And he really wants to be uh, an art photographer, and he's working behind the scenes. When we open the movie, he's shown leaving a DOS house in London, and he's checked himself in there for the night to take photos of the poorest of the poor in London, and he's making this big book about you know poverty and so on and and, and wanting to be uh, a serious art photographer he doesn't care at all about the fashion photography side of it everyone kisses his backside because he's uh, very well known and he has you know, beautiful teenage girls queuing up to both sleep with him just so they can get photographs taken with him and the film opens with him um, leaving the dos house returning to his studio the whole film takes place over a 24-hour period in his life and he returns to the studio. He's very rude to uh, a Russian model who was a, a, a Russian model in real life. And um, then to a larger group of women and then just dismisses a lot of them. He's, he's got this transient mode to him. He's a, it's this kind of film where a character continually sits down and orders food in a restaurant and leaves, which is a bugbear of mine. But also it's something that I've come to sort of recognise as a trope. And these people just go in and they're... They'll sit down somewhere for 15 minutes and then just get up and leave before their food's got there and go off to the next place. And he's, he's in, a, he's in a, a, a lost world. It's full of partying, but it's full of um, what everyone wants regarding celebrity. You know, he's, he, he knows lots of famous people and so on. But 
it's an empty existence. And one day he's in a park and he films this uh, woman, Vanessa Redgrave. It was a, a film that made both David Hemmings and Vanessa Redgrave stars. And Vanessa Redgrave's with a much older man in a park and they're sort of what looks to be an affair. They're um, sort of clandestinely cuddling in this park and so on. She sees him taking photos of them and runs over and pursues him and and you know she's desperate to get those photos so you immediately think that she's having an affair with this guy and doesn't want it blown she comes across as incredibly classy and incredibly rich um then uh she tracks him down so the idea that um these photos are much more important than he's given them credit for but he plays her like he plays most of the people in his life which is a game Everything's a game to him and he sort of strings her along and they almost have a sexual encounter. But in the end, he sort of relents and gives her the film, except he doesn't. By now, his interest in it is so peaked. He, as the title says, blows up all the pictures and continues to blow them up when he realises that there is a figure standing in the bushes. And at first, he tells his agent he thinks that he's stopped a murder um, because he's... um, this woman's chased after him and he seems to have distracted what was going on. The guy's disappeared. But on blowing up future photos from the same scene, he sees what he believes to be a man lying on the floor that looks quite like the guy he saw with the woman and he never saw the guy leave. So he now believes he actually did inadvertently photograph a murder and that occupies the second half of the film. Now, this is an art house film. It's, it, it masquerades as an inadvertent detective story. But that whole sequence where he actually realises he might have photographed a murder is halfway through the film at least. It's really a film that's much more closely related to La Dolce Vita or eight and a half other arthouse Italian films which are very existential and just follow the lead character through his life like the Dolce Vita guy was constantly seeking connection with this highfalutin world around him but constantly left empty by everything and you just followed him from one party to another it's much more in that vein it's an existential art movie it isn't a detective story and where the way that it pans out as well is very existential it has very little concern for linear notions of a crime and detecting that crime and solving the crime and so on those things are very much in the background the foreground is his thoughts. You spend the entire movie virtually inside his head. He's an enigmatic figure as well, so you don't really know what he's thinking, but you get a, a constant vibe of how he's feeling and how dismissive he is of people. Now, what I thought of this uh, on a critical level, well, it's a very interesting film. I bet there was a period where it was sort of slated for being a bit too 60s, There might be sequences in it which sort of feel dated on that level, but from my modern eyes, it's got lots to say. I mean, particularly his treatment of women in the post-Me Too era is fascinating as well. He treats them like dirt until he finds people like Sarah Miles in this film, Vanessa Redgrave, that really pique his interest. All of the other people who just want to be models, he treats like absolute crap in ways that you wouldn't get away with now at all. And I found that really interesting because he's not held up to be a good guy at all. And he's not held up to be a particularly bad guy. He's just a guy that has everything at his fingertips and can find nothing that he wants to do, which seems to be a very modern concern. 
I thought David Hemmings, who never got a sniff of any acting awards here, was brilliantly cast. He became the face of the swinging 60s in London after it and uh, went on to star in multiple films before fading from view, primarily because he was so entwined with 60s culture. Although he does show up in the next film I'm going to review. Um, I think he's pitch perfect in this role. It requires a difficult person, uh, a slightly unknowable character, but he's really, really strong in the role. It's it's, uh, understandable to know that Vanessa Redgrave also became a star after this film. She's brilliant in the parts of the film that we actually get to see her in, and the scenes between her and David Hemmings are superb. They've both got this innate charisma, which makes it all very their playfulness all very more interesting, even though she's obviously hiding something. He's um, got some very interesting extra cast in there as well. Jane Birkin, who married uh, Serge Gainsbourg as well, and uh, who else? Peter Bowles, who would go on to be an ex- a highly esteemed actor um, throughout the coming decades, even though he wasn't really well known back then. And uh, the there was um, oh yeah, there's a performance in it. He goes to a gig and there's the Yardbirds on stage, literally playing on stage. Jeff Beck, uh, who's the guy that plays guitar in Led Zeppelin? I can't believe that I've forgotten that name. The guy who plays guitar in Led Zeppelin, a very very young one, on stage, and um, Jeff Beck actually smashes his guitar up. And there's a a, a minor pivotal moment when he. He's the guy that rushes in the crowd and picks up this guitar neck. He's been blown away by, the, obviously, the Yardbirds were quite a good band. Um, so they... I can't believe that I've forgotten one of the most famous guitarists of all time. Obviously, Jeff Beck and this guy are pretty good. So he grabs a guitar neck and worships it and leaves the venue. And once he's in the street, he just throws it away because it's lost its talismanic purpose. It has no connection anymore to the actual artefact. Um, another interesting thing about this film is it relates to films like Vertigo, wherein you've got characters on screen as a meta relationship between the director and the actors. How they treat actors is kind of him treating the models, and that's a massive part of the film is sort of this meta relationship between a filmmaker and his muse, and between the on screen photographer and his muse as well and what he asks them to do and the way that he treats them and so on, and they become objects to him, not people. Uh, and that's all very, very interesting. It was a very influential film on a lot of art house films that followed as well, particularly uh, Martin, um, Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation. Um, basically, in Blow Up, there's a focus on this visual medium of photography and finding details in these photographs that when they're increased in detail, reveal these terrible crimes. And Coppola, who acknowledged Blow-Up's influence, focused on an audio recording, which when this uh, incredibly talented um, Gene Hackman character goes through the recordings and, and boosts the quality, he ends up finding out about a murder in those as well. And that's a very sort of big part of this film. But whereas that film focuses on solving the murder and um, pursuing a linear plot this has it as a sort of like a a pivot where the existential movements like i I saw a good review it said it's almost a film where someone that's sleepwalking through life wakes up briefly and is thrilled by something and then it falls away again and the the way the movie progresses 
it's almost like the the whole murder scenario starts to fade away and it ends on a very existential note as well um where he's watching some mimes play tennis uh, and he's back to sort of who he was again um the music throughout is excellent as well there's lots of uh, herbie hancock no less made the soundtrack with some lots of super cool swinging jazz and it's got the odd um, song as well. People like the Yardbirds Yardbird actually on stage perform a song. Um, the cast is uniformly strong, but it's you're really in. I thought Sarah Miles was great in this. She's a very appealing actress, and she'd go on to be very famous as well. She's another character that piques his interest. She's in a relationship with another man who's a friend of his, but he's clearly hopelessly in love with her, and possibly that's the only person in his life that he actually cares about. But he has no connection with her beyond that mental connection. Uh, she's with someone else. She knows how much he likes her, and that's really as far as it goes. Um, if you don't like art house existential films, you might find it empty. You might think it's like watching paint dry. I was absolutely obsessed by it while watching it. I thought it was fascinating. Even as a historical document of swinging London, it's truly magnificent. The colours of the way that things are shot and the women, how the women are dressed, it really became sort of like a touchstone for that era. Um, even though it was midway through the 60s, I think it came out in 1966. Another really interesting part about this film, it was free and easy with love and sex and nudity, and that caused it to become something uh, somewhat notorious. But when it went to America, basically they went mental over it because it, at the time, for decades, the American film industry had operated under the Hayes Code. And the Hayes Code was hugely puritanical. Basically, imagine living in New South Wales today. So they stopped all with pictures of swearing, nudity, drug taking, and so on. It made it very difficult to make adult movies. And this came out in America. And even though it's an art film, it was a colossal box office hit. I think something like on today's money, it cost a couple of million to make and made a in today's money about a hundred million dollars so it's a huge success and the fact that it was such a success with such adult content it was one of the most important films in destroying the Hayes Code and the American film industry bringing in the MPAA rating system which they have to this day I thought it was a masterpiece I thought it was a very interesting film an interesting lead character and um, I thought it had a lot to say I didn't think it was like watching paint dry at all some people have complained that some of the scenes go on too long, but it's a very European film, and I think bringing that European sensibility to British cinema, which doesn't really have it, was fascinating. There aren't really that many you know, major art house Italian directors that were making films in Britain with an English-language cast, and I thought the film was all the much better for it. You'd have Nicholas Rogue afterwards make a film called Performance, um, which was uh, a stunning film on the surface, a gangster film. But again, it was an existential film. It wasn't really about the gangster story at all. And I definitely would say that's post this film. Um, it was much more interested in the culture and on the individual's reaction to life, the universe and everything. So I think Blowout is a masterpiece, well worth hunting down on multiple levels. And it's one of those films you just let, let wash over you. Forget about a detective yarn, it's not there. Just let the whole experience wash over you. And it's kind of sad as well. It's a sad film, like I said. It's about a character waking up and then fading away again. 
Um, so I think it's a pretty unique film as well. So Blowout, a thorough recommend for me, 9.5 out of 10, a classic and a masterpiece. And I'll review another David Hemmings film, slightly relatable to that one, a little later in the show. Now, back in the 90s, one of my favourite hip-hop acts were Gangstar, a duo featuring uh, DJ producer DJ...